So I was reading an article. I think I told you to a couple of you about this yesterday during the barbecue. Um, I, was, I was reading an article from Forbes magazine, because, you know, growing up, read Forbes magazine, I suppose. And it was an interesting article, right? And the Forbes magazine says, right now, there are many people who retired early, right? People who retired in their 50s and 60s. And these people are going back to work. So these people who worked hard, saved their money to retire early, there are many people who are going back to work. And they're not going back to work because they need the money, because their retirement is still good, right? Their retirement savings is still valid. They're going back to work because they realized being on vacation after retirement gets old real fast. They said, a lot of these people say, after retirement, I don't find any purpose for my life anymore. They said, after retirement, I seem to be invisible to other people. No one values me. No one needs me. I'm just floating. I'm a ghost. I'm just floating through life. And therefore, for, for out of their, for the purposes of their souls, they go back to work. My son is working at Giant, has worked, is a former employee of Giant Foods. And I asked my son, who are your coworkers? Are they fellow college kids? And he says, no. Most of his co-workers were re are retired folks. And I would imagine those retired folks, they have Medicaid and Social Security coming to them. But I would imagine some of them went back to work for this very reason. They realized that labor, their souls are tied to their labor. This is very different from what you and I are thinking. right? But I, know, I know this, we have talked to a couple of you. Our mentality is we work really hard, save money until, until we're 65, and then we're going to you know, retire and enjoy life, right? That seems to be the goal for many people out there. But what this story from Forbes magazine says, our labor, there's more to us. There's more to us than mere... What this article is telling us is there is a spiritual dimension to labor. And this is consistent with what the Bible says. The Bible describes a human being in two ways. The Bible says a human being is comprised of two components. We're composed of the outer layer, the outer man, the outer being, and the inner being. The Bible says a human being is comprised of the outer being and the inner being. Both the outer being and the inner being are both wonderful creations of God. Right? And both the outer being and our inner being are both miraculous, wonderful creations. But the problem with modern unbelievers and maybe for some of us here 
is our focus is primarily on getting things that will satisfy the longings of our outer being, our outer shell. Concerns about what we're going to do for a living, where we're going to live, what we're going to wear, right? All these things are primarily concerns of outer beings, of our outer man. You get me? Most people in their short lives here worry about the conditions of their outer man. And yet, they're blind to the needs of their inner being. God provides what we need. God provides the needs of our outer shell. That's true. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, Why do you do not worry about what you will eat, what you will wear, where you will live? What, because look, at, look, the heavenly father clothes the lilies of the field, provides for the birds of the air. Our heavenly father will provide for you what you need for your outer being. Right? So it's clear, God will provide you what, what you need for your outer self to live. But what most Christians fail to remember is God, while he does provide for our outer beings, he's far more interested in healing your inner being rather than the concerns of your outer being. We conflate the two. We think, we equate the love of God as God providing for our outer being, right? We need, when we need something, when we need a job or when we need something that we need for the outer self, we go to God and we need him. And, we, and when God provides for us, we go, oh, hallelujah, God loves us. Our, we, we equate the love of God in terms of what God can provide for us for our outer selves. But the Bible is clear. More interested in what God is more interested in renewing your inner being rather than what will happen to your outer being. Create in me a clean heart, Psalm 51 goes, and renew a right spirit within me. God is interested in renewing your spirit rather so much more than you becoming successful in this life. Do you understand me? His great love for us is found in the renewal of our inner being rather than what happens to our outer being. Look, if the love of God is tied to the outer beings, then all the apostles and Jesus Christ himself, if you equate God's love for providing for the outer being, it means God, God didn't love Jesus or Paul or Peter because all these men died miserable deaths, right? Every single one of them died miserable deaths. On the, their outer beings died a miserable death. But God renewed their inner being. That's what God is interested in. What's the primary way that God renews your inner being? You know what is the chief way that God renews our inner beings? He lets us deal, see the evil within us. 
He lets us understand the evil within us. He makes us understand that despite the evil within us, he loves us and forgives us so that the evil in us will be cured. The only way that your, 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 your inner beings will be renewed is you need to confront your sins. There is no such thing as a renewal of an inner being without, without dealing with your, without realizing your sins. Without realizing that God forgave your sins. There's no inner being, there's no inner renewal without it. That's why I don't really like Pentecostal, like, feeling Jesus type of movements. Because they think that if you just feel something on the inside, then that's God renewing your inner spirit. That's not true. God renews your inner spirit by making you have a deepening understanding of your sins and the need of why God would, and, and why you, why you, why we need salvation. Look, the the great American psychiatrist, M. Scott Peck, he wrote this famous book in the early 2000s called The World Less Traveled. And he's an American psychiatrist, right? And he says, human beings cannot be healed unless they deal with the evil within them. You can talk about love, and you can talk about how your parents messed you up, and you can talk about how you were bullied as a kid. You can talk about all these things. But Scott Peck says, unless you deal with the evil within you, you will never be healed, he says. What a wise guy. And what is Scott Peck's definition of evil? He says, he's a psychiatrist. He says, definition of evil It's a militant ignorance of God. You, you don't, you are, we are just totally ignorant of God and we're satisfied with our ignorance and this ignorance is causing this destructive force in our lives. All of us carry with us this militant ignorance of God that causes such evil. And unless we deal with this militant ignorance of evil within us, our spirits will never be renewed. Our inner beings will never be healthy. Do you understand? The way your inner being is renewed is God lets you see your sins. God makes you realize the evil within you. within the context of his grace. He lets you see evil within you, and he, realize, he, makes you realize this, he makes you realize that he loves you and forgives you despite your evil. That understanding of God's forgiveness, your understanding of your evil and the fact that God, God, God forgives your evil, that's the way that your heart overcomes the evil. That understanding that God forgives them. How does God make us realize that we're evil? How does God make us realize our sins? It is through suffering. It is through introducing 
unwanted things that threaten us. More so than not, these struggles, these sufferings in our lives reveal what we really, what's really in us. One of the main ways of suffering, one of the main reasons of suffering is a revelation of who you really are. What, what, what's really inside of you. Give an example. Like, you know, this married couple that I love and know and love, you know, got a dog, right? And that dog, they say, is revealing to them so many things about themselves, right? I'm not going to, you know, protect your names, but that dog, that unruly dog that's not cooperative reveals so much about who they are and about their relationship. Newborn parents of newborns cause of great suffering. Newborns reveal so much about who we are, what our relationship is. Every suffering that God allows, one of the main reasons is so that you will see what, what really is inside of you so that you will repent and you will know that God forgives you despite of it. That is the only way. That is the only way. That is the, I'm sorry, not the only way. That is the primary way that God renews your spirit. Once again, M. Scott Peck says, you cannot be healed unless you deal with the evil within you. And because God loves you, He wants you to see the evil within you to know that he forgives you anyway. If God doesn't love you, he will make you just live under the delusion that you are not evil. If God doesn't love you, he'll make you you live this world as if you think there's nothing wrong with you. If you think everyone else around you is wrong, but you're the only one who's right, That means your spirit is in a bad state. To renew you, you need to see the evil within you and see the grace of God that covers that evil. ¿El comprende? You're not going to hear this from any churches out there, kids, but this is the truth. God is interested in your inner renewal, your inner growth, your inner freedom from sin. But the only way to do it is to go through your sins and see what is exactly in you. And this is exactly what is happening to Joseph's brother in Genesis chapter 44. What is happening in Genesis chapter 44? So last week, Genesis chapter 43, Joseph's brothers experiences Joseph's generosity. For those of you who haven't joined us for a while, remember we're doing the studies of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers, when Joseph was 17 years old, out of their jealousy and envy towards Joseph, beat Joseph up, right, to the inch of his life. 
threw him in an empty well because they wanted, they wanted him to suffocate and starve to death. And then they changed their minds and they sold him to slavery. 22 years later, Joseph becomes a prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful civilization of the world at the time. And when Joseph recognizes his brothers, rather than having them executed then and there, Joseph shows much generosity. He shows them hospitality. He he throws them a party. He speaks kind words to them. They received much love and blessing from Joseph in Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 44. Joseph, it starts with Joseph becoming more generous. He says, fill those dudes' sacks with more money and grain. Just he showers them with money and grain. The dudes that wanted to kill him, the dudes who were responsible for his 17 years of, 22 years of misery, Joseph gives them money and grain, like, abundantly. To the point where, like, you know, it's, you know, like how, uh, when you come back from, from a trip in Korea, your parents give you things. Like, when you go to Korea, your luggage is half empty. But when you come back from Korea, your luggage is so full with anchovies and kim and stuff. That abundance. You know what I'm talking about, right? No? I feel bad if you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what happens. Grace knows what I'm talking about. Like, your, your luggage is, like, stuffed with grain. Their luggage is stuffed with grain and money. But Joseph tells his steward, take this silver cup and put it in the sack of the youngest, Benjamin. The silver cup is a very important house item for powerful men in Egypt at the time. Because powerful men of Egypt used that silver cup as a channeling through the outer, to, the, to the spiritual world. Right? If, they, if they want some insight into spiritual matters, they would use a silver cup right, to summon spirits to tell them about the future. Right? So that silver cup, I don't think Joseph did it because Joseph believed in God, but it was customary for important men during the time to have a silver cup in their homes they used as divination to figure out the mysteries, to summon the dead spirits, to figure out the mysteries of life. It's a very important house item. Joseph has his steward hide that silver cup in Benjamin's sack. He did it to test his brother. And you're thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is Joseph bipolar? He is generous one moment, and then he tests his brothers the next moment? What's wrong with him? Because, you know, for our minds, we need to be consistent. If you're generous, go generous all the way. Go big or go home, right? But if you're generous, be generous all the way. Don't do this, like, test nonsense. God is incredibly generous to us. He really is. More so than we can possibly imagine. But his generosity also involves him testing us. 
like I said, God needs to test us so that we will see what, what we really are on the inside so that we can go to him for forgiveness. His grace and generosity towards you includes his testing in your life. His grace and generosity in your life, you need to understand this. A mature, you need to have a little bit of maturity of understanding. His grace and generosity in your life includes him testing you. Him introducing unwanted things, unwanted children, unwanted neighbors, unwanted co-workers, unwanted clients, unwanted directors, unwanted bosses. His grace towards you is introducing these things in your life to test you so that you will see who you really are, so that you will understand what God, it, it took God to love you. Do you understand? Let's not have this childish understanding. If God loves me, he's not going to make me suffer. No, 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 no. Hebrews chapter 12 makes it clear. For the people that God considers as sons, he will discipline. Discipline is not pleasant, Hebrew, writer of Hebrews says. But it is necessary to produce godliness. God's grace towards you involves the testing of your faith. These are some hard truths that I'm laying on here. No one taking notes? Okay. That's what, so Joseph is testing his brothers, not because he's a mean guy, but he's a means to show more grace upon the brothers. And that's what happened. So the steward puts the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Remember Benjamin, the youngest child of Jacob, their father? Jacob, the second child of Jacob's beloved Rachel. The child that Jacob says, you cannot bring. I would rather have my other son Simeon die in Egypt rather than having Benjamin go up to Egypt because I can't let him go. That son the son that Judah said, my father's life is tied to that guy's life. This was written 5,000 years ago. It's very poetic. He says, my father's heart is tied to that young boy's life. That boy, that boy's sack contained the silver cup. So the steward put the cup in Benjamin's sack. Next morning, they go, they, the men get up with swollen faces, because, you know, they, they consumed a lot of sodium the night before, right? With swollen faces, with fat luggages full of money and grain, they put their don- they saddle the stuff on the donkeys, and they go back to Jerusalem, back to Canaan. Then Joseph says, hey, steward, go after, my, go after those guys. Go after those guys and accuse them of stealing. And the steward does it. Stuart goes after the men and stops the men and says, what have you guys done? Why have you repaid my master's generosity with evil? Why did you steal the silver cup? The the steward accuses the men of that. And the man goes, whoa, whoa. We are innocent. We did not steal your cup. Verse, verse 6, they said, 
Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we brought, we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? When the steward accused them of stealing, they said, look, there's a misunderstanding. We're innocent men. We're so, we're so innocent. We're so honest. That when we, before, when we found that, you know, the money wasn't taken, you know, to purchase the grain first time, we returned the money to you. We're not stealing men. We're not thieves. We're honest men. They are aghasted by the false accusations, by the lie that the steward is telling them. They're being falsely accused. And they are upset that they are. Do you remember what they did, what they said to their father after they sold Joseph into slavery? Remember what they said to their father, Jacob? Jacob loved Joseph so much. To their father, they purposely tore Joseph's coat. And they said to their father, look, father, an animal has killed your son. The worst thing to tell a parent is that their son, is that the child has died. Jacob never got over it. How can you get over the death of your favorite son? These guys lied to their father, nearly killed their father because of their lie. And now they're being falsely accused. Do you think, and he doesn't say it, but I think, when they're accused falsely like this, maybe they remembered the lie that they told their father. When they were lying before, they didn't think that lie was a big deal. But maybe now they realize how evil lies are. Maybe by the grace of God, they start to realize what it really meant, the consequences of their lies that they spoke against to to their father. So they said, oh, we are innocent men. We're being falsely accused. Verse 9, it says, if any of your servants is found to have the silver cup, he will die. And the rest of us will become slaves, servant. He's saying, we're so innocent. We swear to you that we're innocent. To prove that we're innocent, if you find this cup amongst us, then let the person that stole the cup, may that person die, and all of us will become your slaves. This is important. Because when you're, you know, when you're trying to prove your innocence, you swear by the thing that you dread the most, right? 
when you swear, even, even today, when you're like swearing something, which you shouldn't, when you're swearing something, if you really meant the veracity of what you're swearing by, you say what? I swear by my mother's life. Or I swear by my children's life that what I say is true. When you make, when you swear something, especially in the Old Testament, when you, really meet, when you really try to prove your innocence, you will swear by the very thing that you don't want to happen. And they say, I swear, we swear that if you find the silver cup amongst us, then, the, then let the worst thing that could happen to us happen, which is to be sold as a slave. You get me what I'm saying? To them, being sold as a slave is the worst thing that can happen to them. That's why they're swearing by it. What did they do to their brother Joseph? They sold him as a slave. Perhaps these accusations make them realize what they really have done to Joseph, evil what evil they have done to Joseph. You see, this testing, these false accusations, are making them realize their sin. Maybe for the past 22 years, they were in denial of their sins. Maybe they were suppressing their sins. Maybe they were blaming each other for their sins. But now they're finally being confronted of their sins. Look, what being a pastor for over 20 years and being a lawyer for almost 20 years has told me is this. My conclusion of being a pastor and lawyer for 20 years is this. Human beings, the most difficult thing for a human being to do is to admit their sins. It's really weird. Even though it is clear as day what they have done is evil, I have yet to meet someone who readily admits their sins. Most of the people that I know are in denial of their sins. It's weird. Even when they do such thing as like cheating on their spouses or like lying on their tax forms or, you know, doing all these illegal things, they justify it. I was in love with the person who was not my spouse. It was true love, they say. I didn't know the tax codes, they say. I killed that person on accident. I didn't mean to kill that person. It just happened, they say. Human beings are very, very bad in admitting the sins they commit to against another human being. It's really bad. That's why marriage fights is a never-ending cycle of the same argument, right? Because no one wants to admit that they're wrong. Human beings are in denial of the, of the impact of their sins that they have against another human being. We're in complete denial of the impact of our sins towards another human being. I think these brothers for the past 22 years were in denial. 
But through this trial, they begin to see what evil they've done to their father, what evil they've done to Joseph. You understand? Once again, if God loves you, he'll make you see clearly what you're doing. If he doesn't love you, he'll make you think you're always the victim. You're always, people are always against you. The other people are what's the problem, not me. That is a delusion. If God loves you, he'll make you see. So they found the sack, silver tray in, in Jacob. So the steward opens their sack one by one to the eldest to the youngest. And da-da, where do you think the silver cup was found? In, in Benjamin's sack. And they ripped their clothes. They ripped their robes, they say. Ripping the robes is a sign of remorse, worry. They ripped their clothes because they know what this means to their father Joseph, to their father Jacob, and they know what this means to their brother Benjamin. The brothers who had no problem killing, trying to kill Joseph, is now worried about their father Jacob and their brother Benjamin. They tore their clothes in, in, in anguish. So these guys go back to Joseph. And Joseph accuses them. Why did you do this to me? Did I not show generosity and mercy to you? Why are you treating me this way? Why did you steal? And this is what Judah, the oldest brother, as the representative of the other brothers, the oldest is a representative of the brothers. This is what Judah said in verse 16. When Joseph says, why have you done this to me? In verse 16, this is what Judah said. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. When Joseph asked, why have you done this? Judah doesn't try to defend himself. Judah doesn't say, well, it's a misunderstanding. Remember, we tried to bring back the original money to you. He doesn't give an excuse to defend themselves. It's weird. When Joseph says, why have you done this? Why did you steal? Verse 16, Judah, as the brother's representative, says, God has revealed, uncovered our guilt. What is he saying? He's saying through this incident, God has uncovered our sin. The sin that we were covering for the last 22 years. The sin about Joseph. Even though this trial has nothing to do with Joseph in their minds, right? It's about a cup, right? It's about a cup being found in Benjamin's sack. But the brothers realized that through this incident, God is uncovering what is hidden, what was hidden, in, what, what, what they hid inside of them, which was their sin against Joseph. You understand? Once again, it's going back to original premise. If God loves you, he will reveal your sins to you. Look, sooner or later, God is going to reveal your sins to you. 
He can reveal it to you now when you're living. Or he can reveal it to you in the day of judgment. God, the sins that we commit are never forgotten. It's never hidden. We just, we, we just forget. What we, we're ignorant of the impact of our sins. We, we forget the sins that we committed. But you need to understand, it's never forgotten. God will uncover your sins sooner or later. God, by his grace, will uncover your sins now while you're living on this earth. Or he will uncover it in the day of judgment. When when he uncovers your sins at the day of judgment, all those sins that you were denying, that you were covering up, that you 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 were blaming other people for, all these sins that you were covering in the day of judgment, it will be clearly seen. You will clearly see how horrible these things were. And you will agree with God that you deserve punishment. But if God loves you, he will reveal your sins to you now so that you can discover his love for you now so that you will be healed now. This isn't a theory for me. It happened to me last week. My prayer life is I walk and pray at Liberty Middle School, my daughter's middle school. Summer, parking lot is empty. I wander around the parking lot. I hope the cop doesn't don't arrest me. I walk around the parking lot and I pray. And I pray from the parking lot and I pray back to my house. I think my neighbors think I'm crazy. I was passing by a neighbor's house and they go, good morning. And I go, because he thought I was crazy, I think. But in my prayer, He reveals something that is so nasty in me. I was struggling with a particular sin. Right? I was struggling with a particular sin. And as I was reflecting upon the sins that I was struggling with, he made me see the nucleus, why I'm struggling with such a sin. He made it clear to me what, what I was on the inside. And I didn't hide it. And I didn't blame anyone for it. I said. And I just confessed it. And I confessed it. Because I knew that God was going to forgive me that God was merciful, God, that he will forgive me. I didn't have to hide my sins before him. I could confess my sins before him because I knew he was going to forgive me. And when I put the sin out in the open before him, I found that the power of that sin being neutralized. And then I felt refreshed. It happened to me on Thursday.
if God loves you, that's how he's going to renew you. All these individual incidents in your life that causes you annoyance, that guy who cuts you off in traffic, that causes you road rage. By the way, asylum, road rage, I find, is for people who, are, who drive aggressively, right? Like, if you're road raging, it's because you drive horribly, let's be honest, right? Right? But if you're road raging, you need to examine what the road rage really says about you. If you're having conflict with your in-laws or your parents, rather than blaming your in-laws or your parents, you need to, say, you need to really sit down and examine what that annoyance and how you're responding, what that really says about you. If you're jealous of someone, you need to understand what the jealousy really says about you. Every little inconvenience, nook and cranny, cause annoyances are God's gift to call you to self-examination so that you will know the evil within, so that you will know why he needed to forgive you, so that you will be healed on the inside. These tests are God's gifts for you to renew you, not to make you feel guilty, but to renew you. Judah confessed. Judah said, God has uncovered my guilt before you. Right? But please, Do not, do not take Benjamin as your slave. If you take Benjamin as your slave, it's going to kill my father. Take me as a slave. Please take me. I cannot bear to see my father suffer. And I cannot bear to see my little brother suffer. I think it's because of me, us, our sins that we are in this place. Please do not let my father and my little brother suffer because of it. Judah makes that confession. That is the sign of genuine repentance. Acknowledgement of your sins. And the desire to make amends for your sins. That's how you know you truly repented. If not only you feel remorse of your sins and you want to make amends for your sins and you don't justify your sins, you say, I deserve this and, I, and, and the people that I hurt deserve, like, you know, deserve restitution. I need to make this right. That's true confession. Judah made true confession before, before Joseph. And Joseph listens to this. We're, we're in chapter 45 now. Joseph weeps. Joseph weeps because he sees the genuine repentance of his brothers. Joseph weeps because he, just going, he wants to forgive his brothers. Joseph weeps because he loves his brothers. 
and he reveals himself to his brother, says, I am Joseph. And when he reveals himself to his brothers, his brothers are dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. What do you think that crossed their minds when they know this guy, this prime minister, this man of power is the brother they tried to kill 22 years ago? They didn't know what to do. Joseph tells them, don't be afraid. Don't blame yourselves. Isn't that weird? He says, don't blame yourself. Do not be angry with yourselves, he says. The dude will try to kill him. He says, don't blame yourself. Don't be angry with yourself. Come near to me, he says. This is how God feels when you repent before him. When you confess your sins before him. He will weep because he loves you. He will weep because he forgives you. And he will come near to you when you repent. He really does. When I confess my sins before God, the God says, you hypocrite, how dare you confess? How dare you have this sin? You're a preacher of my word. Did you tell these people about me every Sunday? How dare you, hypocrite? Does God judge me? No, he comes near to me. Tim Keller tells a story about a friend of his who was a pastor of a megachurch. And his friend, even though he was a pastor of a megachurch, did, I think, cheated on his wife or something. And everyone found out. When you're a high-profile pastor who cheated on his wife, everyone leaves you. Right? He says, the, and when Keller reached out to him, he says, all my church friends left me. I was fired from my job. Even my family members left me, he says. But the only one who came near was God. Everyone left me. But God came near to me, he says. That's the God that we worship. You can confess. You can boldly confess your insanity and your crazy lusts. You can boldly confess your unkindness. You can boldly confess your brokenness before him. And he will come near to you. Because he has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. And when he comes near to you, you will have insight. You will see things about you and about God in a more personal, clear way. That's how your inner selves become healed. What is God revealing? What struggles are you having now? What things annoy you, make you fearful? Consider them as gifts that God is giving you to make you examine your sins so that you will experience his love, so that you will be made renewed. Let us pray.